next on Contemplate. Some of you are thinking, but aren't we too smart in this day and age to still be believing that there's a devil that's trying to mess with us? No, we are not too smart to think that. We are smart enough to recognize the obviousness of the fact that the devil has wiles and is trying to destroy us. If you can't see it, you're choosing not to. Loneliness, division, and grudges are poison that Satan uses against the church, and the only antidote is the love of Jesus. Here's Pastor David. Divide and conquer. This is a quote that you've probably heard before. It's actually credited to a guy named Philip of Macedon, which may or may not sound familiar to you. We've been studying 1 Thessalonians, and Thessalonica is kind of the major city in the first century in Macedonia, where Philip of Macedon kind of did his thing. Um, Philip of Macedon was the father of Alexander the Great. You may have heard of him, who was taught by Aristotle. You may have heard of him. Uh, but this, this guy came up with the idea of divide and conquer. He had a lot of enemies, <clears throat> and his mindset was divide and conquer. And I think the Thessalonians would have been familiar with that phrase, with the phrase divide and conquer. And what does it mean? What does divide and conquer mean? It's a strategy to weaken your enemy. Now, without getting political, um, for those of you who were alive prior to, say, everybody carrying one of these cell phones around, like back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, for those of you alive back then, would you say to yourself, if you were thinking, you don't need to answer this out loud, uh, but that, um, that the United States of America is stronger now or was stronger maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago. Most people would say it's stronger, it was stronger then. And the reason that they would probably say that is because progressively we have become more and more and more divided ideologically, the things that we think, the things that we believe have become more divided. Now, it's not the first time this nation has been divided. We even had a civil war at one point. Uh, but we, we are very divided right now. <clears throat> and the more divided we are, the less confidence we have in the strength of the society. Right? Division keeps us from feeling strength. I remember playing, playing football. I played football when I was young. Um, not well, but I did play. And I, in the middle of a game one time, I remember... We're playing in the Kiggins Bowl, I think, and, and something happens. I think it was the Kiggins Bowl. I don't know. I, it was a long time ago. Um, but I get in an argument with my own quarterback. Like, we come off the sidelines, and we're yelling and screaming at each other. I don't remember what it's about, but I'm sure he was wrong, and I was right. That's all I know, for sure. But we're fighting with each other and whatever, right? And I don't remember whether we won or we lost the game, but I doubt we were arguing because we were doing so well. Um, so we probably lost. And the other reason we lost, would have lost, is because we were divided, when the team starts fighting with each other, the chances that the team is going to be good and is going to be effective is very low. For those of you who, who remember back certain uh, sports teams, basketball teams, I see this with probably more than anything else, where if they don't have the right chemistry, it doesn't matter how much talent there is, right? They don't win. You get, you get teams, or, or USC football, I don't know if any of you are USC football fans, but for years I would notice that they'd have these, they'd have like the number one, two, and three best guys in the entire conference at every position, and yet they would lose games because everybody wanted to be the guy. Everybody wanted to be, they were divided. They weren't, they weren't together. And because they were divided, they were much easier to conquer. They're much easier to conquer. When we're divided, we can be conquered. Um, you may have experienced the pain 
the anguish that comes from being divided from the people in your life who should be your allies, who should be your supporters, who should be the ones who are walking beside you, who should be your friends, and yet there's division there, and there's a lot of pain that goes along with that. You may know the feeling of loneliness. It's possible. In fact, it's likely. Did you know that we have a loneliness epidemic? A loneliness epidemic in our culture. If you put the words loneliness epidemic in a Google search, you will find lots of articles describing the loneliness epidemic and maybe giving some ideas about how we can fix it. But there's an epidemic of loneliness. There's an article in Psychology Today. It was titled, What You Need to Know About the Loneliness Epidemic. And it says that in the last 50 years, rates of loneliness have doubled in the United States. Almost half of respondents reported feeling alone, left out, and isolated. One in four, 25% of Americans, say they rarely feel understood. And one in five, 20% of Americans report rarely or never feeling close to other people. Imagine walking around and rarely or never feeling close to other people. If these stats are right, there's a decent-sized chunk of the people who are sitting here or who are listening online or whatever that feel that way. Loneliness is harmful to our health. We found out that it has these terrible health effects, right? It's got, it can get cardiovascular problems, uh, premature death, poor sleep, uh, reduced reasoning and creativity, more anxiety and depression, poor ability coping. And yet, even though it's bad for us, it's growing across every region, across both genders, across every age and every ethnicity. The epidemic of loneliness is growing. People are feeling more and more and more lonely. And a lot of us think, well, that's the old, really old people, right? The really old people that people have forgotten about, those are the really lonely people. Well, it's true that there are people who are elderly, precious people that we do not spend the time that we should spending time with and, and giving our attention to. And there are people who have been forgotten by their families and left alone. That is true. And there is loneliness there. My wife goes and sees, she's very faithful about going and seeing her grandmothers uh, regularly. And because she knows that my mom used to, to take me to go see one of my grandmothers. We go, she was in a home in Portland, and we'd go Saturday. I, Saturday, I'm a kid. I'm wanting to play sports. I'm wanting to do whatever. She's like, they're going to go see Grandma Field. Now, it's not that I was a big jerk. I was a little jerk, but I wasn't a big jerk. But the problem with going to see Grandma was she didn't know who we were, right? Um, and so she'd ask me who I was five or six times when we were there, and I'm thinking, she probably wouldn't have known if we didn't show up. But she would have. She was lonely. My mom knew that, and even though she knew that she probably wasn't going to remember that we were there, it was important enough to, to visit the lonely. So that's important. That's, a, that's sort of a side note. But the fact is, is that it's not true that all the people who are lonely are old. That's actually not true. A New York Times article uh, quotes studies of over 3.4 million people that have been analyzed by Dr. Juliana Holt-Lundstad. And this, and this uh, research shows something. It shows this. Loneliness peaks in adolescence and young adults, as well as in the most elderly of our culture. According to NBC News, Generation Z, that is people born between the mid-90s and about 2000, something like that, Generation Z, and millennials, which is the generation before that, right, born around 1980 and going forward, are super lonely. These young folks who should be the least lonely, are super lonely. 
My brother lives in a town called Austin, Texas, um, and it is the place to be these days, according to everybody. U.S. News and World Report in 2018 said it is the number one place to live in the United States, Austin, Texas. Apple is spending a billion dollars to expand into Austin. It's going to be the biggest place other than California for Apple. The tech scene and the music scene is just off the hook. It's, it's incredible. If you're into those things, you want to be in Austin. And the average age is 32.7 years old. It's young. It's hip. It's cool. And yet it ranks at the top for lonely people. And Generation Z and Millennials right at the top of that list, at the top of that list. So the young people, because if you watch TV, if you see commercials or whatever, it seems like if you're young, it's like, woo, everything's going good. So what's going on? But the fact is, the fact is that these people are the most lonely. They're the most lonely in our culture. They're rating highest in these feelings of loneliness. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. See, here's the thing. We're more connected than we've ever been, right? When I was younger, if I wanted to talk to a friend or a family member that lived in another state or even just out of my area code, it was long distance, right? Some of you remember long distance. It was like, you remember this, like $4 a minute to talk to grandpa. And if you walked in the house and you're making noise and doing whatever, and, and someone was on long distance, like, hey, I'm on long distance. And you're like, oh, dang, long distance. Everybody be quiet, dad's on long distance. That's what it was like, right? Um, at least for those who weren't rich, it was very expensive. Now kids today are like, long distance, what is that? I don't know what long distance is, right? They don't know what you're talking about. It was a real thing, long distance, okay? Now we can call, text, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, Snapchat, Instagram, woozy swoozy. I made that last one up. It's so like 15 millennials, like, where's the app store? I got to, not on woozy swoozy, missing out on life. It's all the same to me, okay? I friended a guy on Facebook recently who had like 4,500 friends. These people, I mean, they've got like around 5,000 friends. I'm thinking, I'm not sure I've ever spoken to 5,000 people in my life. You got 5,000 friends? Wow but I wonder if they could tell me the names of the people that live next door. Don't know about that. We are super connected, easily connected, anytime, all the time. Kind of a nightmare, actually. I remember the days when you could just go somewhere and know nobody was going to get a hold of you until you got back. It was amazing. Yes, if your tire went flat or whatever, you had to flag somebody down, and people were actually nice usually, you could, you could flag people down. They'd help you out with your car. You didn't have to have a cell phone to do everything, and it was quite wonderful. But now we are super connected, super connected, more than ever before. We have more ability to communicate, and we're not less lonely. Being more social and having 5,000 Facebook friends has not made us less lonely. It's made us more lonely. In the time that this has been happening, we've doubled the amount of loneliness. Now, that's pretty serious. When I hear that the young people in the coolest city in America, these are the most connected people, and they're the social media mavens and whatever, and they're the most lonely, all I can think is divide and conquer. There's some divide and conquer going on. So what's the solution to the loneliness? What would culture tell us? The New York Times article I mentioned earlier gives some ways people have tried to help others with loneliness. Take a class. Get a dog. 
You notice they don't say anything about getting a cat. <laughs> Do volunteer work. Okay, this is what they say. They even have a program in Britain called Befriending, where people will meet one-on-one with lonely people, which is really nice, right? They go and someone says they're lonely, they're struggling with loneliness, so they'll send somebody to meet one-on-one with them and spend time with them. This is what they found. In a study of 14 trials of befriending, no significant benefit overall was found on measures of depression, quality of life, degree of loneliness, self-esteem, and well-being. They did not get better. They did not get better. Our culture is getting lonely. Our culture realizes it's a problem. You can look on the screen at all the Google searches, epidemic of loneliness. We recognize it's a problem, and our culture does not have the answer. Does not have the answer. But by God's grace, we have the answer. We have the answer. It's right here in Scripture in our passage for today. So if you can get your Bibles out, please. If you don't have one, there should be one in the seat pocket somewhere around you. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that one home with you. That's, that's our gift to you. But if you'll turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 9, and we're just going to read two verses here, just verse 9 and 10. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That's our passage for today. Brotherly love, taught by God. Do you know, I'm not sure if you do, so I'm going to hit you with some, some truth here. Do you know that you have an enemy? Do you know that all humanity, every single person that has ever been born on this earth has an enemy? Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This passage is telling you that you have an enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This passage talks about the wiles of the devil. Now, for some of you, let me translate. That's old people language for the devil has tricks and deceit and strategy that is aimed at destroying you. That's what he has. That's what he's doing. Some of you are thinking, but aren't we too smart in this day and age to still be believing that there's a devil that's trying to mess with us? No, we are not too smart to think that. We are smart enough to recognize the obviousness of the fact that the devil has wiles and is trying to destroy us. If you can't see it, you're choosing not to. You're choosing not to. If we're smart, we'll recognize and we'll learn how to wrestle well in the power of the Holy Spirit and the protection of Christ's church. Now, we talk about a shield wall pretty often here at Acts Church, which is just an extension of this image of the armor of God. Right? We have this image of this Roman soldier putting on this different armor of God. But Roman soldiers didn't fight alone. What was, what was a Roman soldier who fought alone? A dead soldier, right? If you went out where you got all the armor on, you're like, here we go. That other army is going to be like, well, that was easy. Done, right? Single soldier, dead soldier. What did, what did they, how did they fight? They fought in an army. 
fought an army. So when we extend the armor of God, we extend it into the idea of locking arms with our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we aren't divided but united and can battle well against the wiles of the devil. Because we have a clear enemy, and he has a clear plan, and we can see his plan happening before us in our culture. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. Cause division. Cause isolation. Cause loneliness. Get people to feel alone. Get them to feel worthless. Get people to feel like no one understands them. Get people to feel like there's no one that they can talk to that will understand. Then divide them and cause anxiety and depression. Make people not trust one another. Make them afraid of one another. Make them too embarrassed to reach out and seem like they need help. Make them feel alone. And then it's addiction and pain. And literally, with all the health problems that are associated with loneliness, it all ends in death. Pretty good plan if you want to destroy people. And that's what we see happening. But against all that, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. God is telling us something amazing here. I want you to click into this. We're going to break it down. Brotherly love is the word in in Greek, Philadelphia, like the city, okay? Um, In the Greek, it referred specifically to love between siblings, between siblings. God is saying that we are to love each other in the church like we are supposed to love our siblings. And immediately, some of you are thinking, hmm, my sibling? Uh, My siblings and I did not always get along when we were young. I know that a lot of us do have messed up relationships with our siblings. I'm actually cool. My siblings and I get along really well now because they can't make me eat liver anymore. Um, So that's good. But what do we call relationships with our siblings that are all messed up like that? We call them dysfunctional, right? I know, trust me, I put the fun in dysfunctional. I know dysfunctional relationships. We call them dysfunctional because we have an idea that a functional brother and sister brother, brother, sister, and sister relationship is actually something great, right? Is actually something good and healthy and loving and kind and life-giving. When we think about the ideal relationship between siblings, we think of it as something that is really good. We have each other's back. We can depend on each other. We can be honest with each other, right? This is the love relationship that we're supposed to have with the body of Christ, with each other, with believers who are, who are Christ followers. We're supposed to be in Philadelphia, in brotherly, sisterly love with the people in the church. This is what the Holy Spirit is urging. Have Philadelphia. Have brotherly, sisterly love with one another. Now, why? Why sibling love? New Testament uses uh, four different words for love. This is the only one that refers to sibling love. It's a specific word in the Greek that refers to sibling love. Why? Why are we supposed to have sibling love for each other? And here's the deal. When you become a Christ follower, other Christ followers are your siblings. They are your siblings. You're a sibling with every Christ follower that has ever lived or that lives anywhere on the earth right now is your brother or sister. It's a big, big family. And we're supposed to have the highest, best kind of brotherly, sisterly, Philadelphia sibling love 
for one another, for every one of those people. So how do we have that kind of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Join us next time and find out. Until then, let me remind you that if the loneliness Pastor David talked about is something that you're struggling with right now, that can all change as you plug into the family of Jesus. And if we can help you in any way, please call us at 360-885-9000. Or come hang out with our family at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Get easy directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.